Hey everybody, welcome or welcome back to the Journey Church Podcast. It's Matt here, and at the end of this episode, I'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free Journey app where you can access all of our recent message content. And actually, the app's the easiest way to share all this content with a friend and to keep up with everything going on around here at Journey. Just search Journey Calway in your app store. Now, most importantly, I hope this message inspires you to take your next step in following Jesus. So this may be hard to imagine, but once upon a time, there were no Democrats or Republicans. There was no United States of America. There was no Constitution. There was no Bill of Rights. There was no Declaration of Independence. Once upon a time, there was only Rome, a republic that transitioned into an empire under the reign of Caesar Augustus. And during his reign, there was a baby born in a little town of Bethlehem in a little nation of Israel that was under Roman rule and Roman occupation. And yet, that baby would grow up to become a man who challenged the injustice of the Roman Empire and the hypocrisy of the Jewish temple. That man taught us not just to love the ones who were easy to love. He taught us to love our enemies, to do good to those who hated us, to pray for those who mistreated us, to serve those who persecuted us. That man taught us to live selflessly, love sacrificially, and give generously to work diligently, to speak honestly. And then, that man was betrayed by a friend. He was condemned by the Jewish temple, and he was executed by the empire. Not too long after that, once upon a time, there were some followers of that man who would gather every Sunday morning before work, and they would sing songs to Jesus, and they would read a letter or a little fragment of a letter that one of his closest followers had written about him. And they would recommit to one another that they were going to spend another day and another week living selflessly, loving sacrificially, giving generously, working diligently, and speaking honestly. And it was so strange because nowhere else in the culture would you see this, but among those little gatherings early on Sunday morning before work, there'd be Gentiles and Jews standing side by side. There'd be rich and poor. There'd be male and female. There would be slaves and servants and merchants, and fishermen. It was the most eclectic group of people who would never gather in any other circles, but they gathered there. And some of them, in some cases, many of them, were betrayed by friends. And they were condemned by the Jewish temple. And they were persecuted, and in some cases, executed by the empire. Why? Because they would not stop declaring that this man who had been executed by the Romans He was alive again, that the tomb was empty, that three days after Jesus' crucifixion, he had been seen. As a matter of fact, there were over 500 eyewitnesses who said they had seen him. And so at whatever cost it took, they refused to shut up, not about some teaching, but they refused to shut up about what they had seen and heard and experienced. And their influence spread in ways that they never imagined. I mean, they had no idea. They had no idea. And there is no explanation apart from a resurrection that is a plausible explanation for how those little groups of people, their influence and their message continued to spread and spread and spread until here we are today. They, would, they could never imagine. They would have never dreamt what followers of Jesus, what the church would look like today. And so now here we are. None of us ever think of ourselves this way, but I want to try to change that for just a few minutes this morning. I want you to think about the fact that you and I are now in a position where we are writing our once upon a time story. And I don't know what it's going to look like, but I do know this. One day, there will be people who look back on this season, 
on this pandemic, on this crisis, because it's going to be talked about for years. One day they're going to look back and they're going to tell some story about followers of Jesus. They're going to tell some story about you and me. I wonder what story that's going to be. Today we're wrapping up part three of the series, Tough as Nails. And I want to take you back to one of the earliest stories, one of the earliest episodes in the life of the early church there in Jerusalem, in the, in the life of these early followers of Jesus. I find this story to be inspiring, and I find it to be challenging at the same time. Because this is a story that shows us that once upon a time, there was a version of Christianity that was fearless, not fragile. And it was bold and irresistible. It really was tough as nails. The story takes place two months after the resurrection, just about 60 days after. And it involves Peter and John. If you're not familiar with Peter and John, they were two of Jesus' closest followers. They spent three years by his side 24-7. And yet, they denied him when he was arrested. They fled and they hid in fear as he was crucified. And yet, here they are now two months later and they're following Jesus and they're declaring what they have seen and heard and experienced that the tomb is empty. So at three o'clock one afternoon, Luke, who wrote an account of the the history of the early church. He tells us at three o'clock one afternoon, Peter and John are walking up the steps of the temple mount. They're headed into the temple to gather with some fellow followers of Jesus to pray. And as they're about to enter the temple, they see a man there on the side. And Luke gives us a few details. This man was about 40 years old. He'd never been able to walk. And my guess is he was a familiar face there at the temple that he would gather there often, he would sit there often, and he would ask people, he would beg people for money. Pretty good place to ask for money as these folks are cycling in and out of the temple all day. And this is how he made his living. This is how he provided for himself. And as Peter and John are walking by, this man calls out to him and he asks them if they have any money for him. And Luke tells us that Peter and John turn and they look at the man and they say, we don't have any money. But I'll tell you what we can do. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And what's so interesting about this is that Luke tells us the man immediately jumps up and Jesus does an extraordinary miracle for him. He heals his nervous system, his structural system, his muscular system. And then Peter and John just walk right on into the temple. They don't make a big deal about it. They don't try to attract any attention to themselves. They just walk straight into the temple. But the man... It's the first time he's ever been able to go in the temple because if you were disabled, you weren't allowed in. And so he goes running and jumping and shouting into the temple, and he's up there on the temple mount, and he's making such a scene, such a racket, that everybody begins to look, and he's so recognizable. Everybody's going, whoa, what in the world's happened? Isn't that the guy who always sat? And so suddenly they're running around asking what's going on. He's pointing to Peter and John saying, they did it, they did it. And so everybody starts gathering around Peter and John. Meanwhile, they're just trying to gather with their group and pray, but everybody's going, whoa, whoa, what happened? What'd you do for him? And Peter and John begin to explain to them, this wasn't us, we didn't have any power to do this. Jesus chose to heal him, and he healed him. This was all God's doing. And a larger and larger and larger and larger crowd gathers until it catches the attention of the authorities of the Jewish temple. Now, that was a problem because the authorities of the Jewish temple were the ones who orchestrated the condemnation and crucifixion of Jesus. And so they began to gather and they began to see what's going on. And what do they hear? But there are Peter and John and they're talking about Jesus, the man that they just had crucified two months before. And so you can imagine what happens as a result of that. They grab Peter and John and they throw them in jail overnight probably the same jail Jesus was thrown in by them. And then the next morning, 
they bring Peter and John before what they called the council or the Sanhedrin. This was the most powerful religious body in the nation at the time. A group of Pharisees and Sadducees, there were two different groups of them, who gathered. And they began to question them about why they were talking about Jesus. And they began to threaten them to not say his name anymore. And Peter and John, this is so odd. Remember, two months before, they were hiding in a room for fear of these men. Now they're looking in the eyes of the men who had Jesus crucified. And they have no fear whatsoever. They look at them and very boldly, they tell them, no, 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 we're not going to stop talking about Jesus. Here's what happened. He's the one who healed this man, and the man, they brought the man in. He's standing over there on the side, so you can't really deny that, right? But they think, what are we going to do to shut these men up? And Peter begins, in essence, to preach a sermon to them. And it was so bold. Listen to what he said. I'm going to paraphrase. Basically, he looked at him and he said, you killed him. God raised him. Why don't you say you're sorry and change your ways? I think it's time. That was Peter's message in a nutshell. Hey, you don't want to talk about Jesus. You killed him. Got some news for you. God raised him. You better say you're sorry. You better get on the right side. And then Peter makes a statement to them that I just can't stress how offensive this was to these Jewish leaders. Look at what Luke tells us he said. Salvation. Let me pause right here because I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of salvation, but for a lot of us, it's been presented to us as, wait a minute, that's a prayer I pray so I don't go to hell when I die. And I just you know, check that off and then I go on about my life. No, no, no. That's not what Jesus taught salvation was. That's not how Peter and John referred to salvation. Salvation was a much bigger concept than that. The reason they used the term salvation is because they believed we all needed saving from something. Specifically, we needed saving from the consequences of our sin. Now, you know what sin does? Here are the consequences. Sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from others. And sin separates us from ourselves. Sin separates us from God. It messes up that relationship. It separates us from others. It messes up our relationship with others. And sin messes up our own identity, the way we view ourselves. And so Peter is looking at these men, and he's going, you need salvation. You need salvation, not so you can spend an eternity with God. No, no, it's bigger than that. You need salvation from the consequences of your sin. Now, some of us have never felt like we needed salvation. And the reason I know that is you're still trying to fix you. But when you get to the point that you realize you can't fix you and you can't fix all the consequences that your sin has created, at that point, you will realize how helpless you are. You will realize you need rescuing. You will realize you need saving. And Peter says, okay, when you're at that point, when you're ready, I've got good news. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved, referring to Jesus. Now, some of you, this is your problem with Christianity. You're like, it is so narrow-minded, you're saying Jesus is the only way. Well, let me just remind you. Peter and John had no problem declaring that because they had watched their Savior and leader be beaten, bloodied, bruised, crucified, buried in a tomb, and then a few days later, they were having breakfast with him. So when you've had that experience, you're not worried about, well, is this narrow-minded, not narrow-minded? No, no, no. When a man predicts his own death and resurrection and pulls it off, you go with whatever he said, and that's what Peter and John are doing. So they look at these men with no fear, and they say, you don't want anything to do with Jesus. I'm telling you, Jesus is your only hope. And then Luke tells us this happened. When they saw the courage, when these Jewish religious leaders saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. 
But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they're caught. They want to take Peter and John. They want to march them straight to Pilate and say, hey, Pilate, we'd like two more crucifixions, please. The problem is there's a guy standing right there in their midst that everybody knows hadn't walked for 40 years, and suddenly he's clearly visible proof that something happened. So how do you go crucify two guys who just helped a man walk? So instead, you know what they do? They threaten Peter and John with their lives. They say, if we hear you talking about Jesus anymore, you're done. You're done. And then they let them go. To which Peter and John then, imagine this, what, what would you do? Peter and John don't jump on their mules and head off into the wilderness to hide. Peter and John go right back to all of their friends who are followers of Jesus. They tell them everything that happened to them. And then they pause and they pray. And this is what I want you to see today. This is so extraordinary. And this, I hope, will help inform what our once-upon-a-time story will one day be. Here's what Luke tells us happened. When they heard this, when all of Peter and John's friends heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And here is what they prayed. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Now, this is how they started their prayer. That sounds so different than how we start our prayers, doesn't it? I mean, most of us are like, well, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and thank you for it. And it's so small and it's, so, it's almost rote. Like, we're not even thinking about it. It's just routine for us. No, no, no. That is not how they prayed. They said, God, we want to begin by acknowledging we know, in spite of everything that just happened to us, in spite of our suffering, in spite of our persecution, we want to acknowledge we know you are sovereign, which means we know you are ultimately the one who has all the power. Emperor Tiberius is up there in Rome. He thinks he rules and reigns and has all the power. We don't think he has all the power, God. We think you have the power. And then as they're praying, they quote something that King David wrote centuries before. Here's how their prayer continues. You spoke, God, by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And they quote something David wrote. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. This was their way as they're praying of going, David was talking about what, was, what we saw happen. He talked about it centuries before. And then here's how they continue to pray. Indeed, Herod, who was the Gentile ruler at the time, the Jewish ruler, excuse me, the Jewish ruler at the time, and Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman, the Gentile ruler, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. So the Jews and the Gentiles were in this together in this city, Jerusalem, to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So they're praying. Imagine this. They've just been threatened with their lives. And now they're praying and they're saying, God, we think you have power over everything. You're way more powerful than Emperor Tiberius. You're way more powerful than these Jewish leaders who just threatened us. And as a matter of fact, all the things that happened two months ago, well, it was no surprise to you. All the suffering we're going through now, it is no surprise to you. And then they make their request to God. Now, I want you to think about if you were in their shoes, what would you be praying? What would you be asking God to do for you? Here's what they asked God to do for them. Now, Lord, consider their threats and not provide for us, not protect us, not persuade those men not to chase us anymore. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great 
boldness. Are you kidding me? I mean, they just got free, and they're praying and asking for boldness. Well, that, that's been your problem, Peter and John. You had too much boldness. It's what got you arrested to begin with. Why don't you tone it down a little? But they weren't about to tone it down. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand this. The boldness of the early followers of Jesus was not obnoxious. It wasn't. Their boldness wasn't criticism towards the Jewish leaders. It wasn't criticism towards the Roman leaders and politicians. Their boldness, and don't miss this, their boldness wasn't even boldness about Jesus' teachings and his parables. It wasn't boldness about sin or heaven or hell. Their boldness wasn't theological in the sense of we want everybody to believe what we believe. Their boldness wasn't we're going to shove our beliefs down your throat. Here's what their boldness looked like. You ready for this? With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. This was their boldness. They were bold about one thing and one thing only, what they had seen and heard and experienced. They were bold about the fact that we watched our Savior and leader die on a Roman cross. We saw him buried. Three days later, the tomb was empty. We were having breakfast with him. We were talking to him. We were touching the places on his hands and his feet where the nails had been driven in. We were touching the hole in his side where the spear had been driven in. We can't stop talking, not about the teachings of Jesus. We can't stop talking about what we have seen and heard. To them, no matter what it costs them, everybody deserved to know, not about the story of the Good Samaritan, not about the story of the prodigal son, not about the story of the lost sheep. Everybody, no matter what it costs, needed to know that there was a tomb that was empty. That is what they were so bold about. And that empty tomb is what enabled them to be fearless, not fragile. It's what enabled them to be bold and irresistible. It's what enabled them, following in the footsteps of their leader, to be tough as nails. Now, here's why I bring all that up, and here's how I think it intersects with all of us. There is something so important that you and I need to remember in this season and in this stage. It's this. Fear pushes us down the path of self-preservation. Fear always pushes us down the path of self-preservation. You know what I mean by that? Whenever fear sets in, and there's plenty of fear in this current season, there's plenty of anxiety, there's plenty of worry. Whenever fear sets in, we immediately head towards how do I protect, preserve, and take care of me. All we think about is me and mine. All you think about is you and yours. This is what fear will do if we're not careful. Fear will make us isolated, insulated, self-centered, and self-preserving. Now, maybe for the average person, that makes perfect sense. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, look, look, look. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, feeling fear is unavoidable. But acting in fear, letting fear push us down the road of self-preservation at the expense of the people around us, that's entirely optional. In the words of our governor, you can't be doing that. I can't be doing that. Not if we're a follower of Jesus. And the reason that's not an option for us as followers of Jesus, the reason this is a problem, is because this is not what our Savior and leader did. He did not allow fear to push him down the path of self-preservation. As a matter of fact, he went in the exact opposite direction. 
and he put others before himself. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. So, for you and for me, listen, listen. You need to pause and you need to take inventory of what, what you are currently doing with your life right now in the middle of this crisis. Because if you're not careful, everything will be about you. Protecting what you have. Preserving what you have. Maintaining what you have. Everything will become about you and yours. And you will lose sight of the people all around you who God has placed in your life so you can serve. And so ultimately, you can show them what God's grace, His goodness, His love looks like, and so they can see and know that for them, everything can change because the tomb is empty and they don't have to live full of fear. So, what will our story be? Because one day, people are going to talk about those of us who are Christians. And yeah, they're going to talk about, hey, everybody had to stay healthy at home, and we had to social distance, and you should do all of those things. But will they look back one day and say, you know what? Those Christians, they sat at home, but they didn't sit at home thinking about themselves. They sat at home, and they got on the phone, and they checked on people. They sat at home, and they figured out ways to meet needs for others. They sat at home, and they figured out ways to still serve others. They sat at home. And they still put the needs and interests of others before their own. What's our once upon a time story going to be one day? The good news is we get to make choices today and tomorrow and the next day. We get to write our own story. You know what I hope they say about us one day? I hope they say that we were informed but not worried. We were responsible. Absolutely, we acted responsibly. And we were compassionate. That we were aware and we were still generous, that we were engaged, but not divisive, that we were principled, but not judgmental, and that we may have felt fear, but we were not driven by fear, that the worse things got, the better those followers of Jesus got, the darker things got, the brighter they shined in our community. So let me ask you one more time. What will our story be? What will our story be? Will it be a story of fear pushed us down the path of self-preservation and those Christians just cared about themselves in a crisis? Or will it be a better story? Will it be a story that reflects our Savior and our leader and those early followers of Jesus? Will it be a story about a group of people who chose to shift their focus from themselves and to serve other people? A story of people who chose to love sacrificially, live selflessly, give generously, even in the midst of difficulty. That can be our story. You know why that can be our story? Because we follow one who was fearless, not fragile. He was bold and irresistible. He was tough as nails. And he was the savior of the whole world. And he's still the savior, and he's still the leader today. Let's pray together. If you have never embraced what Jesus did for you, salvation, as Peter put it, if you've never gotten to a point in your life where you said, I really do need help, I can't fix me, I want to encourage you right now as we pray just to tell Jesus, Jesus, I give you my life give you my life. 
I want to follow. Father, we are so grateful that you show up in the midst of our most difficult moments. You do not lean away, you lean in. And when we can't fix ourselves, you step in and say, no, I'll give you strength in your weakness. God, we're so grateful for the hope that you provide us, for the forgiveness that you provide us, for the invitation to be a part of your family. And most of all, we are so grateful that we can walk through this crisis and we know that no matter how difficult things get, the best is yet to come. We still have hope. Our future is still bright. And we can navigate through whatever we face because we follow a leader who is fearless, not fragile. He's tough as nails. We follow in the footsteps of one who wrote an extraordinary story. And God, we just want one day for people to look back. And we want our story to be like that as well. A story of a group of people who cared and who loved, who didn't try to preserve themselves, but who gave themselves away, even when it cost. Help us to be aware of the opportunities we have this week to do that. Don't let us miss them. Don't let us become consumed with ourselves. Because as we follow you, our hope grows. Our future is brighter. And we know the best really is yet to come for each of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you'd take a moment to rate and review this podcast, it would really be helpful. And if you live near our church, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our phenomenal children and student environments, just visit us at journeycalway.com. That's journeycalway.com. Look forward to seeing you soon.